When I lived in San Jose, Costa Rica as a teenager, we were missionaries there and I saw firsthand what religion looks like, what religion can do to a community, to people. And at a young age, I saw some things that religion tries to pass off as Jesus. There was a very special week called Semana Santa that led up to Easter, Holy Week. The Roman Catholic Church there in Costa Rica, they had gotten the idea that they would allow their people to pay for their sin for the year by crawling on their hands and their knees from wherever they lived to a place, a city called Cartago. In this place called Cartago, they said that a young girl saw a depiction of the Holy Mother Mary in the water. This would be the place that they would come to be closer to God than ever for repentance of sins. I can remember the roads being closed and seeing thousands and thousands of people take time off work, away from their families, and weeping and crying. They would crawl on their hands and their knees until they bled to Cartago. Take them all week long. And at 14, 15 years old, you don't really know how to process all of that. And even at 14 and 15 years old, Scott, I knew enough about grace and mercy to know that I didn't have to crawl to Cartago. But all I had to do was go directly to the source. Communication with God, a relationship with our Lord, it leads right into where we've been last Sunday, Wednesday night, and where we will go yet again today for part three of consistency, the guardian of power. Titus 2, the seventh verse. This is where we were last week. Let me read this verse. I do not like to spend a lot of time, if you listen to me preach at all, you know I do not like to spend a lot of time in review. But I want to touch on a few things that we hit last Sunday, touch on a few things that we hit Wednesday night, and then build to where we need to be this morning. Titus 2, the seventh verse. In all things, showing thyself a pattern of good works in doctrine. Now there's a complete thought there that the Apostle Paul is teaching, and you need to go back and read all of that, and how he is instructing but Titus 2, 7, there's four words there, a pattern of good works. A pattern of good works. We'll talk about that in just a moment. Let's pray. Holy Father, again in Jesus' name, we come back into your presence. Lord, I'm thankful that we've had multiple times to pray in this service already. Lord, I feel your presence in this place. God, it says in the Word that you inhabit the praises of your people, that it's pleasing to you when we worship you in spirit and in truth. And God, I pray that today as we climb this mountain through Scripture, Lord, that you would give us victory. 
God, that people's lives would be changed, not because of who's behind the pulpit, but because what is being preached, the truth of the Word of God. Lord, now we pray for a moment where our minds can focus on nothing but the Word of God. Bind distraction, keep our focus, and Lord, use Your Word to change our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray together. Amen and amen. A pattern of good works in doctrine. And for consistency's sake, it's been our theme. Our theme for 2023, let's back up to that, is unity in Christ. Unity in Christ. That all of us are unified with Christ. Because the truth is, none of us can be unified together until we are all individually unified with the will of God for our lives. Unity in Christ. But for us to live as Christians in 2023, it doesn't happen on accident. You're not going to trip up and accidentally live the way God wants you to live. That's not how this works. God has an expectation for every child of God that's under the sound of my voice, either in blue chairs or worshiping online. And if you're saved and you're on your way to heaven and you're not ashamed of it, say amen. amen. If you're not ashamed that you're on your way to heaven, say amen. 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 This is for you. God has expectations of everyone that said, Amen. All of us are expected to live our lives a particular way. It's wonderful that we sang that song, that Brother Arthur sang that song before we preached this message, because really this goes up against the grain of religion. We're not talking about repetitive motions. We're not talking about you signing a tithe check to make everything right between you and God. We're not talking about lighting candles or reciting a prayer. We're not talking about what you can post online and social media accounts. We're talking about the nitty-gritty of life. God does not want your lip service. God wants your heart. He wants every aspect of you. We are to live as living sacrifice. Every aspect of who I am does not belong to me. Rather, it belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't have my church me and then my every other day me. I have me. And God wants every bit of me. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, it says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, the brethren are those that are saved in the faith, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always, every day. For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Let me get this out and really process this. This is the truth of God's Word. But God is going to pay dividend on people who are faithful to labor for His kingdom. God's going to reward people who stay faithful to work, to labor, to be consistent. Not only do you get heaven in the presence of God, but you also get rewarded for everything you did in His name. The Bible teaches this clearly. You will be rewarded for your labor. This thing's going to pay off, and it's going to pay off in dividends. He's going to lay crowns at your feet. Can you imagine that? That God would reward me for anything that I would ever do. That's why it's so important you understand salvation. Salvation full and free. That when God looks at you, He does not see the old you. He does not see the sin of what you used to sin. He sees nothing but royal red blood. A child. And only a child can receive that reward for faithful, diligent work for His kingdom. And so we looked at that in detail last week, that consistency with God 
the guardian or the keeper of power with God, favor with other people, that it comes from confidence with God. We looked at Daniel and his life, closeness with God, that our relationship with Jesus is described in the Word of God in Ephesians as a marriage. It's a marriage. Jesus being the bridegroom, you being the bride. Now, if you ignore your husband, if you ignore your wife, and you don't talk, and you don't tell each other the truth, how do you think that marriage is going to go? It's not going to be healthy. In the same light, do you talk to the Lord? Do you read your Bible? Do you go to this love letter that He's written to you, or do you simply ignore it? Consistency with God comes from closeness with God, knowing what He wants for your life. How are you to know who you are to marry if you're not close with God? How? What are you going to... Are you going to use a, a crystal ball? Some of you did. But God in grace and mercy blessed it anyway. How are you going to know where you're supposed to work? How are you going to know how you are to conduct yourself with your children and how you parent? Uh-oh. Closeness with God. This is where you form consistency with God. If you're not getting instructions from headquarters, then you are a soldier who has gone AWOL. And you're doing it in your own power. You don't even know who the enemy is. You don't know what direction to march. Well, I got this. I'm good. Yeah, and then six months, where are you? In a place of pain, a place of suffering, a, a place of confusion that you didn't have to be in in the first place if you would have just been consistent with God. This all pays off, ladies and gentlemen. Every bit of this comes with reward and blessing. You want to be in the perfect will of God for your life. Because if you're not, there will come a consequence. We talked about that, that faithfulness with God, all of this, the confidence, the closeness, the communication, and the faithfulness with God, to God, for God, that all of this together is the formula for power with God. God is not going to waste His favor with dirty, insolent vessels that are rebellious and will not listen. Why won't my children listen to me? Because you won't listen to God. Why won't my teenager respect me? Because they see nothing that they should respect. This all is a domino effect that goes right to the house of God. It goes to the condition of our community. When God's house starts playing with the things of God, then the community as a whole suffers. We get cold, we get careless, complacent. Calluses build on our hearts and we could care less. That's the scary part. Well, God, I'm blessed. I got my get out of hell free card. I'm saved. Ain't going to hell. I'm good. Everything's good. Everything will be fine. I'll write my tithe check. We'll pay those people over there at the church house. They'll, they'll carry the burden. They'll live it in front of my children consistently. They'll teach them the word of God. And then when things fall apart, I'll take them to the church house and they can fix them. I'll give them a couple hours a week and expect them to fix my family. You see how this all falls apart? God is not interested in what you can say. He's interested in how you live your life for Him. You say, well, that's religion. That's, that's too radical for me. 
I've got to be able to hold on to some of my identity. The problem is that you're supposed to get your identity for who you are and what you are through Christ. Why do young teenage girls go find uh, approval from men, men who have no business giving their approval to your teenage daughter because they're searching for identity? Point them to Jesus consistently in the home and then watch what a beautiful, blossoming young woman who knows her identity in Christ really is. Her worth. All of this comes with consequence. Jesus talked about it so blatantly. He, he didn't pull any punches here. This is for all of us. This is so convicting. He talked about the water of Laodicea. He talked about a water source in a city. You see, there was a city called Colossae that was known for cold mountain spring water. It was refreshing. There was another called Heropolis that was known for hot water springs that would take joints that hurt and it would open up the hands and get blood flow going and the mineral value that was there. But then there was a city called Laodicea. The Laodiceans had a two-mile aqueduct that ran underneath the city and it was full of trash and it was nasty and you didn't want to pallet it. And the worst part about it, according to Jesus, was that it was lukewarm. It wasn't hot water, it wasn't cold water. And he even said, I would rather you openly, full-heartedly reject me than to be lukewarm. Because lukewarm water, as I assess the works of this church, it makes me sick to my stomach and I spew it out of my mouth. Christ Himself said in Revelation 3 that lukewarmness, the gray area that American Christians are really good at finding, it makes me sick, He says. I want to spew it out of my mouth. Consistency with God comes with great benefit, but inconsistency comes with great consequence. God wants more of you. He wants more of you. Well, I've given Him everything I have. No, you haven't. Because tomorrow's coming. And if you're growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus, if you're always going towards Him, never becoming satisfied with who you are spiritually, that the water doesn't get stagnant, then when you wake up tomorrow, He'll need more. He'll want more. Grow in the grace and the knowledge. Get more of Him. John 3.30 says that you need to decrease so that He increases in your life. The church said amen. Wednesday night we talked about consistency and how difficult it really is. Because what we're talking about here is the key. What we're talking about here today is the key. This is the key. I look at our founding pastor, Dr. Ralph Sexton Sr., and his life, and it's more than just that he's my great-granddaddy. We're talking about a man who lived his life consistently. Consistently. Some say, well, you're just talking about him because he's your great granddad. No, I'm talking about him because he's a holy man. Amen. I'm proud of him. He finished his race well. But you can't live holy before God until you're consistent with God. You can't be unified with Christ until you are consistently seeking Him in spirit and in truth. And Wednesday night, we looked at the second tier of this, that it is very difficult. This is a lifelong struggle. This is why the Apostle Paul preached that I die daily. The flesh, me, I'm the problem. If you want to know what the problem is, you're looking at him. It's this guy right here. 
The guy I had to shave this morning is my problem. I'm the problem. And when you go home and you look in the mirror, you're the problem. It's our flesh. But greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. My flesh coming under subjection. It's a war, ladies and gentlemen. This is a battle. This is a struggle. A lot of people are getting super sensitive about warfare being brought into the church. We don't want to talk about the cross. We don't want to talk about the blood. We don't want to talk about resurrection. That's too supernatural. Give me grace, grace, grace with another side of grace and that God is love and I'll be happy. That's not Christianity. God wants every aspect of your life and He wants it every day consistently and it is a war. Christian living is not a flip-flop experience. Remember the little song we used to sing in vacation Bible school? I'm in the Lord's army. Yes, sir. Remember that? Some of us need to simply realize that we're at war. Get our flip-flops off and put on our combat boots and fight. Because as we talked about that faith that's cultivated in consistency, your children are desperate for you to be consistent with God. Their future could be contingent on what you do with the first 18 years of their life in your home. But if you're inconsistent with God and then you want to complain because you've got inconsistent teenagers, you've got the whole thing wrong. Start at the top and work it down. There's a problem in management. It ain't the preacher's fault. It's not the youth pastor's fault. It's not their Sunday school teacher's fault. No, no, no. Go to the top of the food chain. Inconsistency comes with consequence. You say, Pastor, that's too harsh. I was looking for an encouraging message today. This is encouraging. Because at the end of the day, you can't do it on your own. And God knew that. You were going to fail. You were going to fall. And God knew that and saved you anyway. That's the good news. But church, if we're going to be unified together, if you want to come in here and it feel like a down-home service, listen, this is not a social club. This is not the civic center. This isn't the community center. This is God's house with God's people. And I don't care if we have eight members or 1,800 members, we must be unified with God so that we can be unified together. I've heard so many people say all my life, well, when I was a kid, it was your granddaddy's church is too big for me. It's a, it's a big church. If you know the people, and if you come to church here, you'll know that we're one big family. Do we always get along? No, families don't. Do we all agree on everything? No. Does your mom and dad, does your grandparents always agree? No, we're family. But if we're going to be unified together, if our staff is going to be unified for the cause that Christ has called us to do, if you as the people are going to be the effective body, then we must be unified with Christ. But we cannot be unified with Christ until we're consistent in our walk. You see, you can play games and you can play church all you want to. But if you're a member of this church, if you stood here and took the right hand of fellowship from either me or Ralph Sexton or Ralph Sexton Sr., and you took the right hand of fellowship and you joined the church, then your inconsistency is like a body with no right arm. And if there's more than one or two of you, maybe we have no arms. And if three or four of you, then we have no right leg. And then eventually we're just laying in a pile of ourselves with no effectiveness. 
Meanwhile, people die and go to hell. Well, I wrote my tithe check. I'm good. And God says, live your life as a sacrifice. Leonard Ravenhill, I love the way he talked, the way he preached. He said, I love that song, Near the Cross. It's a good thought. But he said, don't sing near the cross. Sing, get on the cross and die with Jesus. Some of you don't get that. It's your flesh. It's my desire, my will, the, the, the mode apparatus that I want to live, the way I live. And saying, God, I'm a parent. I'm a member of this church. I'm a member of this community. And I want to be what you want me to be. It's a place of humility. And it's a war that you must fight. You look at all the opportunities in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament with Jesus, that there's a great victory, spiritually speaking, that a war is won, the victory is given, the prayer is answered, the healing comes. If you'll notice, especially with Jesus in the New Testament, a pattern, we talked about this Wednesday night, that as soon as victory is won, war comes after. Even after Jesus was born, one of the first things you'll read in your gospel that took place in the first two years of his life is that the enemy through the wicked heart of Herod the king tried to have him killed. Every child two years and younger had him murdered. That same spirit still lives in this land. It's in every Planned Parenthood and it's in Congress itself this morning. That spirit of Herod, that wicked devil that wants to kill babies. They tried to have Jesus killed. Then you look at His baptism. There's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the forerunner, His cousin John. He baptizes Him in chapter 3. Chapter 4 of Luke, what happens? Forty days tempted by the devil himself. How does Jesus come out of that? He does it by quoting Scripture, the Word of God. comes out victoriously. Then he goes from there to the synagogue in Nazareth, his old hometown. And he picks up the scroll of Isaiah, reads Isaiah 61. For he hath sent me to preach, to deliver freedom to the captives, recovering of sight to the blind. And then they tried to kill him. The Son of God is standing in his hometown synagogue in Nazareth. He says, look no more for your Messiah because it's me. I'm here. I'm declaring to your ears today that I am the Son of God. And instead of rejoicing and shouting and being jubilant that Jesus had announced Himself and His deity, they try to take Him to the brow of Nazareth to kill Him. Satan only fights what he fears. There's a reason that Satan will leave you alone. He's not afraid of you. Because you're inconsistent with God. Consistency with God lived out in a pattern. Consistency with God, the war of all wars with myself. And then today we'll close with this thought. Consistency with God hinges on contentment. Consistency with God hinges on contentment. I'm going to ask you a question and I want you to answer it in your heart. Don't answer it out loud. But it's a tough question. Is Jesus enough? Is Jesus truly enough? Your salvation, the indwellment of the Holy Spirit, 
being a part of the body of Christ in a church, the eternal security that He gives, the, pre, the peace, the joy, and the understanding that only a relationship with Him can bring. That's not religion. Is that simply enough to hold you over until you get home to heaven? If God isn't enough for you, if His leadership in your life doesn't satisfy you, if having power with God and favor with people and spiritual ability doesn't make your mouth water, you'll never know real consistency with God. Because consistency in human lives and in human emotions and in human hearts is tied to what makes you happy. Your contentment. Psalm 51.10 is a great verse. Look at it with me. It says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The truth is, all across America, there are churches that are full of people who need an appetite change of their heart. And this needs to be the heart cry of every single person in this room. Uh, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Because the truth is, if you can't be satisfied with what He has to offer you, then you'll never be consistent in your walk with Him. You see how all of this has consequence for a church, for your life? Your effort and even your desire to be consistent for God cannot be held hostage by your circumstance of life. It can't be held hostage. A lot of people live their life like this. They'll say, God, I'll go up there and I'll sing in the choir. If you'll do this for me. God, I'll carry a burden for my pastor. I'll pray for my church. Now, now Lord, here's my order. Here's what I expect. And Lord, I expect it in this timeline because I don't want to wait. Lord, I'll be faithful to you if you'll do this for me. That's not how it works. Because eventually life is going to come. And it's going to come fast at 90 miles an hour. And it's going to throw you a curveball that you cannot hit. It doesn't matter how long you've been alive. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It does not matter how big and heavy your bat is. The Apostle Paul taught us that the, that the enemy, Satan, has a blueprint for our lives, a plan to get an advantage of us, something to discourage us, something to keep us on the bench and not on the field. And if you live long enough, you'll know and you'll understand that life is going to throw you something you cannot handle. Something you cannot compute. Something that you cannot even fathom imagining and it happens. The phone call. The accident. The job that fell apart. There's three things that really I want you to see here that the world will rob you of. It will rob you blind of these three things. Number one is passion. The world will rob you blind of passion. That one thing, that desire of your heart, that one thing that makes you tick, it may be a relationship. 
It may be a friendship that you've had since you were a child. And if you're not careful, the passion for that will supersede everything in your life. Do you notice how human beings are really good about focusing on one thing and putting all of their hard effort and energy into that one thing? And then when that one thing explodes on them, they are broken and shattered, some of them for decades. Some of them never recover for the rest of their life. Some of you thought that he was Mr. Right when he was Mr. Wrong. And your heart's broken and you you can't really understand it, but it could be that God saved you from a lemon. And some of you, you went and found somebody you had no business being with. You married them. And God in grace and mercy still blessed it. Whatever your passion is, God has something better. If you're not careful, the world will rob you of all of that passion. It will come. Sometimes it's provision. You'll lose a job, financial security, a 401k. Who remembers 2008? Yeah. How's that 401k looking on about July 2008? Not good. Was that your security? Was that, was that what was going to get you through till Jesus comes? Well, it got cut in half. What are you going to do now? You can't just quit and die. You can't circle the wagons and stop living. So what are you going to do? You've been robbed of all of your security. You've been robbed of all your provision. It will come. That's life. It'll rob you of pleasure. People are best at this because people are imperfect. People know how to wound other people really good. It'll rob you of the passion of life. Could even be somebody with the same last name that you have that does something that you cannot even imagine. And all the pleasure of life, all the joy is just sucked right out of the room. All the pain and heartache you never thought you would have to experience. And now you're having to talk to a divorce lawyer. Robbed of all pleasure. Robbed of all joy. No mountaintop experiences to really speak of. Because of someone's actions, of someone's lies. The consistency with God, contentment with who He is and what He is, and His sovereign will for your life, it can be and it will be enough to see you all the way home. Hebrews 13.5, it's our text for the day. Go there and look at this verse. It says, Let your conversation be without covetousness, There's a semicolon. And be content with such things as ye have. And then there's a colon. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And you may not have what you thought you would have that would drive your passion for life. And you may not have the job or the money you thought you should have or would have by now. And maybe life has produced no joy, no happiness. You can't remember the last time you were able to smile and everything in life has fallen apart and nothing is the way that you imagined it and everything is just broken. It's messed up. The author of Hebrews said, there's something that you can be content with because it never fades and it never goes away. You see, it's one thing to be in the desert. It's Another thing to be in the desert by yourself. He promised you, I will never leave thee. 
I will never forsake thee. Well, I can't feel him. He's there. I can't see how he's working. He is. He's God. You're looking through a glass darkly. You don't see all the way he works. He's too holy and too sovereign. And if you'll just trust him, he'll take care of the rest. Be consistent to trust him. Three principles from his presence that will keep you consistent with God. Remember now we're building here the pattern, the war, and now the contentment. The contentment comes from his presence. Three things from his presence that will keep you consistent. Number one, you'll recognize these. In his presence, there is passion. Once you have tasted of the presence and the power of the Holy Ghost of God resting on you as a mortal man, nothing else will matter in this life. You can't get enough of it. You can't get enough of being in God's perfect will for your life. Teenager, you want a drug that you can use that's safe? The presence and the power of God on your life. You'll never get enough of it. And the good thing is it's good for you. Being in the presence of God. You want to be passionate about something? Be passionate about the Holy Ghost of God. Pleasing Him, living for Him, and being consistent for Him. Secondly, in His presence there is provision. You'll never go to the cupboard and be hungry. You'll never go to the fridge and open up the door and there not be exactly what you need. That's not how God works with His children. And in His presence, there is provision. See, the Holy Ghost of God will follow you to the doctor's office and He'll be sitting right beside you when the doctor hands you the folder with all the bad news and the chemo schedule that you're getting ready to take. And it'll feel like there's nothing left for you. There's no hope. There's no joy. This is it. This is the end. And then somehow, somewhere, the Holy Ghost will whisper to you, and say, I will be with you and I will provide. There's provision. Some of you are praying for your son to be saved, your daughter to come to saving faith, a loved one who's hooked on drugs or alcohol. In His presence, God will tell you of the provision that's available. And some of you, God's promised you in the midnight hour in the prayer closet of your life that He's going to come through. And some of the greatest provision you'll ever need for this life, you'll get it in the midnight hour in the whisper. won't be in the big service where everybody's up shouting and crying and praising the Lord. It'll be when you can't even move in your bed because you're going to wake up your wife or your husband. And He'll give you what you need. Provision. If you've ever been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Then lastly, in His presence, there is great pleasure. There is nothing better than being right with God, consistent with God, and in the perfect will for your life. You want to be happy? Be consistent with God. You want to feel fulfilled in your life? Be consistent with God. Because in His presence, there is great Pleasure. There is no greater joy. And even in suffering, you can go to a cancer center, you can go to a dialysis center and see people who live one way with no hope. And then somewhere over there in the corner, 
There's a little gray-haired saint of God. She's got her little hanky. She's got her Bible in her lap. All those tubes and wires are washing her blood at dialysis. She's reading a verse. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Wipe a tear. She'll turn the page. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. She'll wipe another tear. There is joy even in suffering being in His presence. And some of you this year may be tough. Maybe the hardest year you've ever faced. Could be that God's preparing you for what will be the most difficult year of your life. You say, well, pastor, that scares me. We don't live in a spirit of fear, but we do live in a spirit of preparedness. Don't get caught in the well at Laodicea playing in the lukewarm water. Be found in the hot springs of Heropolis, willing to take a cup to a friend or a family member who needs encouragement and healing. You don't want to be in the operating room saying, God, I wish, Lord, I wish the last three months of my life would have been different. You don't want to see the semi-truck crossing both lanes ready to hit you and your family and say, Lord, and hear nothing. Be consistent with God. And He will be consistent with you in His presence. And from there, the contentment of your heart will leak out. And from the joy, the pleasure, the happiness of being right with God, this church will be unified with Christ so that we can be unified with each other. And all God's people said, May He add the blessing to the reading of His Word. Holy Father, in Jesus' precious name, we come back into Your presence and Lord, we are humbled by what we have read. Lord, it's not my sister, it's not my brother, but Lord, it's me that's standing in the need of prayer today. God, I need to be more consistent. I pray that You would forgive me for where I fail You. God, that you would help me to understand how you want me to change. God, that before you deal with anybody in the pew, or that you would take a surgical knife of the Holy Ghost, and that you'd open up my heart, and where there are little spotted cancers of self, God, that you'd begin to do the work and intricately remove all of those things that do not look like you, that are not pleasing to you, God, I pray that it begin now. Lord, that you would change me. I want to know more about you. I want to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to decrease. Lord, that your spirit could increase. Lord, I love you. I thank you for this time together. These precious, precious people. Lord, for the ones that are here today that are being consistent, that are being faithful. God, I pray that you would encourage them through the reading of your word. God, for those that are like me, Lord, that are hungry for change, hungry for more, Lord, I pray that you would encourage them today to pray that prayer of God, inspect me. Help me to be the husband I ought to be. Help me be the mom, the dad, the friend I ought to be. 
And Lord, for the sake of this church and for the glory of Christ, that we would humbly submit ourselves for inspection. Do it now. Help us to grow. Help us to change. Help us to be different. In Jesus' name we pray. Every head bowed and every eye closed. No one's looking. No one's going to embarrass you. Is there anyone here under the sound of my voice and you're like me? Both of my hands are up today. I can say, Pastor, there's some things in my life I want to be more consistent in with God. My hands are up. Look at all the hands up all over the building. Hands everywhere. Church, this is the solution. This is where we begin to change. This is the next level for Trinity Baptist Church that we grow in the grace and the knowledge, unity with Christ, and consistency in our walk. We're going to open the altar. Brother Arthur, if you would come, I want you to sing something. We'll take just a minute. And we're going to close. We'll ask God to do what only He can for each heart, for each life. If you need to come pray, the altar's open. If no one comes, we'll close the service. If you raised your hand, there's some things in your life you need to change. Some things in your life you need to give to God to be more consistent. I want you to come. I want you to pray. And begin that journey now of consistency with God. Brother Arthur, you sing.